Take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter number 23, if you would. Luke chapter number 23. If you're saved in here tonight, you've heard this story. <laughs> and uh, I think of the hymn that says, Tell me the old, old story. <clears throat> It says, suffer a sinner whose heart overflows <laughs> to tell uh, the story one more time, you know. And uh, here in verse number 32, we'll start there. It says, and there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And they said, Jesus, Father, forgive them. And then said, Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people uh, stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And the superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And, he said, and he said, Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Father, for this, this account that we have recorded in our Bibles that tells us one of the greatest stories, or at least the culmination of one of the greatest stories ever told. Father, I'm thankful, Lord, tonight to stand here knowing that, Lord, this... This very story we read is not a fictional story. It's not just a story to show us, uh, uh, Lord, how to live a moral life or some allegorical truth, Father, but it's a, a historical account that, Lord, unlocked the key for me to get to heaven. And, Father, I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you for your willingness, Lord, to go through this. Lord, the creator of heaven and earth came down in the form of a man and then submitted himself to the heinous treatment of mere mortals like us. And I just want to say thank you for doing that tonight. Yeah. And Father, as we go through these thoughts, as we go through this text, Father, I pray that you would maybe give us an appreciation, a renewed appreciation. Yeah. God, that you'd give us, Lord, maybe some light, Lord, in areas in our lives that we can improve. Yeah. And Father, I pray, Lord, tonight that you'd bless us, do the best we can to give out what you've given us. We love you now, and we pray that you bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. I was coming into church this morning, and I was having a conversation with my daughter, and I was beginning to try to uh, describe to her how, how I was raised and how I came to know the Lord. And And uh, 
There's just a part of you that always wants better for your children, right? And uh, when I think about what Jesus Christ did for me, I remember when I first heard this account, when I heard the gospel, I remember um, my thoughts that were running through my head. and, And as I was talking to my daughter, I was trying to convey these thoughts to her. And, and just like it is now, I've become emotional because it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense that the God of the universe would come down and in likeness of sinful flesh, submit himself not just to live and to be an example, but rather be a sacrificial lamb and allow us sinners, enemies of him, for all intents and purposes, the enemies of him. To not just kill him, but to deride him and rail on him and mock him. And then not just kill him, but publicly shame him and hang him on a cross and pierce him and stab him and beat him. And then ultimately, as we've done our worst to this perfect man, he has to still give himself up. But you want to know something I... I place myself at the foot of the cross sometimes. You ever do that? You ever just think about what would I have done if I was there? Who would I have been in the crowd? And tonight, I would like to draw your attention. I've probably preached this here before, but it's been some time, and I felt like the Lord was tugging on my heart to go along this route, and I don't apologize for it. I kind of like going down these routes sometimes. It's good for me personally to put myself as one of those two others on either side of Jesus Christ. Amen. To to, to maybe as Matthew chapter 27 verse 36 says, and sitting down they watched him there, to maybe to get a a, a sneak peek in what exactly it was that was taking place that day, to maybe keen in on on the senses that uh, what you saw and what you heard and what you felt and, and everything that you could see in that scene, let it just sweep over you and do something to you cuz folks we need to be we need we never need to let this get to a place where it doesn't affect us amen this story never should grow old you know what i i think about these two others that were hanging on the cross it tells you in verse 32 that there were two others two other malefactors that were led with him to be put to death And you want to know, I think about these two men. They represent each and every one of us in here. These two men represent a situation, a problem, if you will, that every living, breathing human being has on the face of the earth today. You know what? This problem that they have is defined for us in verse 32 at the end of the verse. You know what it says? It says that they were going to be put to death. You know, I know the problem with each and every one of us here tonight. You may have a litany of problems. If we were to go in and out of the pews tonight and ask you, hey, give us a list of your problems that you have in your life. There would be no shortage uh, of, 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 of sad stories and issues and, and, and just whether the, they vary in severity and, and different things. Maybe they would be health or they would be money problems or they would be, you know, logistical problems you have in your life. But there'd be a list of problems. But if you're to stew down, guess what? You got a problem here tonight. What the problem is, someday you're going to kick the bucket one of these days guess what's going to happen your soul is going to leave your body 
There's a lot of, there, man, there's been a lot of science out there trying to study death and try to, you know, extend life and, and all that kind of thing. And uh, death is an ugly thing to talk, to talk about. You know that? It's never fun to talk about dying. You talk to somebody out in the world and you say, hey, uh, uh, where are you going to go when you die? And it's like they're offended. They're like take back by it. Why would you talk about that? You know what I'm saying? And it's like, oh, wait a second. You don't talk about that. You don't talk about death. I heard a man say one time, a man can never truly learn how to live if he first learns how to die until he first learns how to die. You want to know something? These men, they both had the same problem. You have the same problem. One of these days, you know what's going to happen? Your lungs are going to stop pumping air. And your heart's going to stop pumping blood. And you're going to close your eyes. And you're going to take your last breath. And that last breath is going to seep through your nostrils and through your mouth. And then all of a sudden, your soul is going to go somewhere. And science can't do nothing about it. You know, they say, oh, well, maybe we'll find the fountain of youth. Or maybe, you know, we'll be able to figure out cryogenic freezing. Or maybe, you know, we'll be able to, with uh, stem cell research and, 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 and uh, be able to grow organs in, an, uh, in a laboratory and be able to do this, that, and the other. They're never going to solve the problem that you're going to kick the bucket someday. You're going to die. You're going to die. You know what Hollywood tries to do? They try to cover it up. They try to desensitize you to it, right? That's how Hollywood tries to do it. They try to, you know, make it so that you're so numb to it. That's why all the video games and all of the, and all of the, 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 the movies and that kind of stuff, and they just make it seem like death is just some kind of poetic, you know, thing. And, you know? Or like, you know, like one of those romantic stories like the Titanic, you know, and what's his name is uh, sitting there on an iceberg or a piece of, uh, you know, boat or whatever. And the girl, and he just like slips away into the abyss, <laughs> you know, try to desensitize you to it. You know, they do a study in some of these mass shooters and things like that, and they submerge themselves in these first-person shooter games, and they submerge themselves in about music that all has to do with death and, and the glorying of violence and all those kinds of things. And you know what they are? They're so desensitized to death, it doesn't even affect them. They can walk through a school and pop about 20, 30 shots and kill about 14, 15 people, and guess what? It doesn't even phase them. Done a pretty good job to desensitize us about death. Paint it up, pretty it up. You know, when you go to a funeral, you know what they do? They do the best they can to make that corpse look good. You ever seen a bad makeup job on a dead person? Man, nothing worse than that. <laughs> I had somebody one time talk, they were, they, were a, they were a beautician or whatever, and they were saying, Yeah, I'm a beautician. I was like, Oh, yeah, where, where do you? beautician at you know <laughs> like oh yeah I, I i go i go down to the morgue and i and i and i paint up the dead bodies i'm like for, never let my wife go to that beautician you know what i'm saying <laughs> i know all about makeup i've never seen a good looking dead body i'm sorry i've never seen it but you want to know something they try to cover it up some people they just don't want to think about it they 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 just stay busy and they just go throughout their life and you know what they do the last thing on their mind is about what's going to happen when they die. Right. You know what it's not just lost people don't think about death saved people don't think about death either you know that right? They're just so enamored with what's going on in their lives and all the different things. You you know what you have all those other problems and you just have those problems that you put on the back burner, you put on the back burner, you put on the back burner. Well guess what? Here. Why don't you go ahead and put that one on the front of the burners tonight? One of these days you're going to die. And you don't know when you're going to die. If statistics are right, 
Some of you in here aren't going to be here in 10 years. If statistics are right, you're not going to be here in five. Some of you ain't going to be here in two. You know what's going to happen? You're going to die. Oh, it's probably just going to be the old folks. No, you young people. You young people. You know what's going to happen? Some young people, you know what happens to them? They die. It's horrible. You know what happens? They die. Accidents happen. I was in, I was in high school, man, and, and uh, middle school, up through middle school, playing modified basketball and then in the uh, JV basketball and writing varsity basketball, that kind of thing. And, and uh, had a guy in our school, his name is Brandon Dunlavy. Brandon Dunlavy, he was like, you know, a men among boys. <laughs> I mean, some people, they just, you know, they get all the, the good parts of the genetic gene pool. And, uh, I mean, he was real tall. He could dunk the basketball, man. He could dribble the basketball. He could drive to the hoop. He could shoot the three. He had all, everything he had was a total package on a basketball court. And the guy, I mean, he was just athletic. You know what I'm saying? He was like one of those in a small town. It was like everybody knew his family. Everybody in his family was athletic. His dad was a really successful business guy, you know, whatever. They, you know, he had, they had money. They had, uh, they had everything, you know. And Brandon, uh, we live in a small town in upstate New York. Uh, not a whole lot of people making it big from the small pool that is uh, Brushton, Mawira, or Malone, New York, okay? Not a whole lot of people in the NBA say, yeah, I came from the, I came from the Malone. <laughs> I was like, Carl Malone? No, 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 no. It's a town. It's, a, it's, a little, it's actually a village. It's not a town. It's a village. Uh, but it's, you know, it's up there by the Canadians, <laughs> Right? But you know what, this guy, man, he had scholarships to a bunch of schools. Syracuse won them, D1, Division I schools. Man, this guy, he really, it, it, with the right coaching and with the right, this guy could have made it. <coughs> I remember it was probably junior, senior year. Brandon and his girlfriend, a friend of ours named Nicole, and then there was a guy in the back seat named Johnny Nichols. Johnny Nichols was driving. Nicole, was in the, uh, Nicole and Brandon was in the back seat. And uh, they were driving back from Plattsburgh one night, and uh, it's about a 40-minute drive back to Malone. And they're on the they're on the they're on that road there and doing nothing wrong. They went to they went to the mall up in Plattsburgh, and and uh, you know they're just coming back, and drunk driver swerved into their lane and hit him head on, and they all went black. And uh, Nicole woke up. And she looked over to her side and she saw Brandon and blood's coming out of his eyes and blood was coming out of his nose and his mouth and his ears. And she watched him as he gasped his last breath. Full ride. Wasn't thinking about it. Wasn't planning on it. Wasn't in the cards. Had his whole future ahead of him. And it was not, it was just, it was nothing there, man, that would have ever insinuated. They weren't doing anything wrong. He's gone. See you later. Bye. Absent from the body. Gone. I had a buddy down in school. His dad had cancer real bad. And, uh, and I remember Brother Donovan would go and talk with him, and, and he'd go visit him. And, and then Timmy, well, he'd come to class, man, and he'd, he'd talk to me about what was going on. And he'd say, you know, my dad has cancer so bad, the tumors had gotten so big, they were pressing and they were breaking his bones. The tumors had gotten so big. 
You know, and that man laid there in that bed, and the doctors had no answers. You could pray till you was blue in the face, right? The doctors had no answers. Hospice had come in because they had waved the white flag. And guess what? He passed away. He's gone. He's gone. My dad was 43 years of age. He went to the, he went to the doctor a week before. And they gave him a clean bill of health. Said, you're healthy as a horse. Nothing wrong with you. A week later, he came back to the house. And he went to put his keys on the key ring. And he fell down on the ground. And his heart exploded. Wasn't thinking about it. Wasn't planning on it. Hey, guess what, folks? It's ugly. And you can't cover it up. You can't put lipstick on that pig and make it better. There ain't, what are you going to do, man? How are you going to break? Guess what, folks? That's what's out in the future for you. <laughs> happy, happy New Year. <laughs> right? You can't cover it up, man. You got a problem. These men had a problem. There's no, they're hanging next to the Lord on either side of him. There, there's nothing that can be done now. Listen, man, you're conscious and listening to my voice tonight. Guess what? One of these days is your last day. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. There's no cure for death. You know what they told that man? That uh, my buddy's dad was laying there. Sir, we've done all we can do. We've run every test. We've run the biopsies, and we could do all the chemo. We could roast you like a stinking Thanksgiving turkey, and guess what? There's nothing we can do. Science ain't going to cure it. Well, I took stem cells. You ain't going to cure it. You ain't going to cure it. But you want to know something? There's a cause for death. There's a cause. There's a reason why people die. There's a reason. You say, yeah, you know, cardiac, you know, deaths, they're up, you know, X amount of percent year over year. And because we have an obesity epidemic in the United States, and that's why people die. Uh, nope, that's not why people die. Yeah, well, cancer, it runs rampant. You know, you got to make sure after you're 40, you got to get those little, little you know, things. You got to make sure that everything's clean and everything is good. You know, make sure that you got your, your test done and you got everything going on. And because, and, and, you know, cancer, that's like, that's like one of the leading causes of death is cancer. That's not why people die. That's not why people die. You want to know what? Nobody wants to face the reality of why people die. You know why people die? Because Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Wherefore as by one man centered into the world and death by sin. Amen. And therefore death passed upon all men so that all have sinned. You want to know why you die tonight? It's because of Adam's fall. It's what every scientist can't tell you. It's what every evolutionist doesn't want to admit. It's what nobody has any answers for why you die. You want to know why you die? It's because you're a sinner. Because there's something wrong with you. <laughs> there's something wrong with your blood. There's something wrong in your nature. And guess what? The reason you die is because you're a sinner. 
And the reason why Jesus Christ had to give his life up is because there was no sin in him and he couldn't die unless he gave it up himself. You and I don't have that privilege. We're definitely sinners. We're sinners by nature. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. You know, sometimes we get on our high horse and we think we're better than what we are. And you know, the truth of the matter is, is you ain't nothing. You're an animated dirt ball full of sin. You don't have any answers. Listen, you couldn't lead yourself five feet without the Lord Jesus Christ. You understand? You don't know, you don't know how to lead your life. You don't know what to do. Listen, listen, you are nothing without Him. Nothing. The truth of the matter, if we're to be honest, is we are 100% needful of Jesus Christ. And even though somebody, whether they believe on Him or they don't, is immaterial, they're going to die someday because they're sinners. And that's why people die. They had a problem just like you and I have a problem. You know, the Bible tells us that we shouldn't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. You know, when we look at the problem of these two men, what it does is it keeps us in check. It keeps us in balance. It keeps our pride where it should be. It shows us that every day is given by God. It shows us that, guess what? We should never take anything for granted. You shouldn't take your kids for granted. You shouldn't take your wife for granted, your husband for granted. You shouldn't take the fact that you're breathing air right now for granted. You shouldn't take what you have today, the things you've enjoyed today, the health you've enjoyed today, the fellowship you've enjoyed today, the church you got to come to today. You never take it for granted. Why? Because it could be gone tomorrow. It could be gone in 15 minutes. Death is non-discriminatory. There's nothing racist about it. There's nothing sexist about it. It's 100%. And they had a problem just like you got a problem. I want you to hear their plea. Look at verse number 35. The Bible says, And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he be Christ, the chosen of God... And the soldiers mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, saying, If thou be king of the Jews, save thyself. The first plea that you hear, if you were standing there, you know what you'd hear? The plea of the spectators. You know what they're saying? If thou be Christ, if thou be the king of the Jews, they derided him, they mocked him. They're one of those they're, they're, they're those, there's those ones that just look at Jesus Christ from afar and they, and, they, and, they, and they see no merit in him at all. They see him as a phony. They see him as a liar. They see him as a blasphemer. They see him as just some other guy that got a bunch of people to follow him and they couldn't shake him over the years. He's a crutch to simple-minded people. Do you hear the cry of the spectators? You ever heard the cry of the spectators in your life? You religious fanatic. You absolute, you're so weak, you can't take the, you can't, uh, you can't reason and you don't have the intellect that it takes to understand that science has proven that the, there's no way that you could have, oh, the earth could be only 6,000 years old and there's a, no way that this, that and the other and they just call you and they just make fun of you and make fun of you and make fun of you. If thou be Christ, do this. If thou be Christ, if thou, oh yeah, well show me God. You ever take for granted that God spends about zero time proving, himself, proving his existence? Amen. 
He doesn't even try. Because the Bible takes for granted that if you don't believe that there's a God, guess what? It just takes for granted that you're a fool. It just shows how dumb you are. It just shows how ignorant you are. That, and how prideful and arrogant you are to be able to look around at nature and look around at everything and the systems that take place in nature and the fact that you're not thinking about what you're doing tonight and you're breathing and your body is pumping blood and you think that that happened by accident. The Bible says, I want to give you the time of day. You're a fool. I want to give you, I want to give you the time of day. You're, you're not worth my time. I give you breath, I give you life, I give you the fact that your heart's beating in your chest and I give you the ability to move around, give you the ability to make money, give you the ability to have a family, give you the ability to do all this stuff. And guess what? You don't, think, you don't even think there's a God? Man, you're such a fool. You're such a fool. I see Christians all the time on their heels in a retreat stance when it comes to the world. Drives me up the wall. As I was telling you before, I was talking to my daughter this morning on the way in here tonight, or this morning. And I was telling her, I said, I remember as a boy growing up in a family that we weren't religious at all. We didn't go to church, didn't have nothing to do with church. We didn't talk about church. We didn't talk about God. We were godless. We weren't immoral. You know, we weren't immoral. We were godless. Some of you, did you get that? You can be moral and not have God. You can have good standards and not have God. Amen. You can have good convictions, and guess what? You cannot have God. And you want to know something? I remember as I got older and I, got, and, and, I, and I started getting into this thing, and after my dad passed away when I was 13, I started going to this church up there. And I tell you something, I thank God for the, the steps and the places that God has moved me through the years as it got me to where He wanted me to be, and I thank God for that. But I, at the time when I was there, there was very little substance. And I would go to school... And I was a part of the youth group, in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. And I would go to school, and uh, people would ask me questions. And I remember I had no answers for them, man. And so you know what I did? I just chased a good time. I just chased a good time. I wanted friends. I wanted to be popular. I wanted, it wasn't hard to have, you know, it wasn't hard to be popular. We only had 63 people in our senior class. So <laughs> you can get a handful of them, <laughs> you're doing all right, you know. <laughs> But I remember I would also ask the preachers in my life as we go to the Southern Baptist camp and we had everything from Wesleyans to, you know, Calvinists and all this different stuff and, uh, and different, you know, liberal denominations. And, and you'd ask them questions, like real questions. And I watched them stinking preachers, man. And I don't mince my word. Maybe I'm just in a bad mood tonight. I don't know. <laughs> Listen, I don't, I'm not mincing my words. Those stupid preachers that couldn't give me an answer for one thing. I'm talking to a little teenage boy. You couldn't answer the questions of a little teenage boy? You couldn't answer the questions when I'm, talking, when I'm asking them about earth science and I'm asking about the stuff that I'm seeing in school. And, uh, you know, you go to school and they'd ask you a question on a test and they say, you know, how did the earth come in? And you, just, and you put the word God and they mark it wrong. Yeah. 
And then you go there and you ask the preacher a question. He says, you just need to have faith and love God. And no, no biblical response at all. You say, why did you go to Bible college? You want to know why I went to Bible college? Because I was sick and tired of people giving me stupid answers because they didn't have no stinking answers because they didn't know the book. And you know what I did? I went there with a bad motive. I said, you bunch of morons, you can't answer. I'm going to go learn the Bible and I'll figure it out if there's answers for them or not. And you know what I found out? There's answers. I found out there was answers. I found out that when the spectators start to run their mouth and if God and if Christ and if you, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And all the stuff that they say to try to make you feel stupid. Guess what? You know what I found out? They got, they got more faith than I do. They got a whole lot more faith than I got, man. You know what? Sometimes they say, you know, you have the faith of the grain of a mustard seed. Sometimes I wish I had the faith of the grain of an evolutionist. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because when you take the thing back and you go all the way back to where the thing begins, you either believe it happened by accident or it happened by intellectual design. That's what it goes back to. Forget all your other arguments. It goes back to that. And guess what? You don't have an answer for it. I got an answer for it. You just don't like it. Because if I'm right, then that means you have to give an account for your life. You know those spectators? They didn't want him to be the Christ. You want to know why? They liked, the, they liked their life. They liked what, how they were living, and they liked to watch somebody get crucified in public. And you know what? They just wanted the status quo. They liked their intellectualism. They liked their secularism. They liked all that stuff. You want to know something, Christians? You know what? You know what? I really I would implore you tonight because the spectator's voice today is louder than it's ever been. And it's not going to quiet down. So you know what we need to do? Is be ready to give an answer of the hope that lies within us. Listen, I learned a long time ago that just because somebody's really smart doesn't mean they're right. I'm talking to the teenagers this morning as we're going through the preliminary thoughts in the introduction of the book of Romans. And you want to know the things I was trying to implore to them today as we talked some things about the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of heaven, those kinds of things. Just going along in a kind of entry-level uh, content uh, in regards to that topic. And as I said, I said, some of you, guess what? You're going to be in college someday and a professor is going to say some things. They're going to say some things. And you're going to be like, wait a minute. What is that? And if you don't understand those basic things in, in the Bible, it's really going to shake your faith. Amen. Because you're going to go there and say, oh, this guy's a PhD and this, that, and the other, and he's got a, and he's got a crowd of people, and he's got this, and he's got these accolades, and he's a professor in a big, in a, in a big uh, you know, college somewhere. And guess what? I learned a long time ago that just because somebody's really, really smart doesn't mean they're right. And you know what, Christians? It's high time that you quit getting on your heels and just buckle stinking down and learn some things so that when you start hearing them chirp in the crowd, it's not that you got to go toe-to-toe with them. It's that you're confident enough in what you believe and you understand that no matter what argument they have, they, they still have to have a level of faith to believe what they believe is true. And if you know that there's some answers to the things that they're going to come at you with, you know that you can just stand there and smile and wave, boys, smile and wave. You don't have to go toe-to-toe with them. 
You know what you have to do? Be confident in what you believe. Because the voice of the spectators, boy, it's just doubtful. If thou be Christ, if thou be Christ. Seated and rooted in doubt. Sometimes it's your family, sometimes it's your friends, co-workers, teachers. They're just spectators, man. They don't really know him. They're just going off what they see. And a lot of times people just see what they want to see. You see the plea of the self-righteous in verse 39. One of the malefactors which hang, on, hang railed on him saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. You know, he railed on him. You ever had somebody rail on you before? Don't you hate that? It's a pretty humbling thing when somebody sits there and rails on you. Especially when they're wrong. (laughs) You ever have somebody do that? Here's this guy telling the God of the universe. Thinking he had the audacity to rail on him. You know what? His plea, this plea of self-righteousness, you know what he was? He was uh, he's saying, oh, if thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. You know what? He was just repeating what the spectators were repeating. You know what? Self-righteousness and pride and arrogance, it's a, it's a damning thing. It, makes you, it brings you down to the level of non-believers. He had a self-righteous plea of innocence. And there's too many times that we're more worried about being right and, 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 and not admitting guilt. And you know what it does? It keeps us far away from Jesus Christ. Just like this man. Hey, if you're the Christ, I'm willing to believe. I care if you're willing to believe. Let me ask you this. Are you guilty or not? Are you guilty or not? You know what? He, had, he thought uh, he would be right. Uh, and without having to admit to what God required. And so he says, if thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. You know what he's saying? I haven't done anything bad enough to, for, to deserve this. Let me down so that I can go back doing what I was doing before. You ever been that way with the Lord? Sorry, 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 sorry. Just so you can go back and do exactly what you want to do before? Oh, yeah, man, me too. You ever get to that place where it's just like you're just sorry because you got caught and now you find yourself in hot water and you're not really so much concerned about changing your ways or, uh, or, 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 or turning to the Lord Jesus Christ, but you just want to get out of hot water? You just want to improve your situation? That one's a hard one, folks. I know why it's quiet. Because <laughs> that one's true. That one's true. So many times we, we just have that lump in our throat and says, I'm, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong, and I deserve this. I deserve this. This problem I have in my life, I deserve this problem because I've done this. And the marriage didn't work out. I deserve it. And this didn't work out, and I deserve it. And I lost my job because I deserved it. I, 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 I was messing around. I screwed around, and now I, I'm, I'm unemployed. 
right? We don't ever want to admit we're guilty. We want to admit we're wrong, especially in the presence of others. You think all those people looking at him, he didn't want to admit he was wrong. You ever, you know what I saw in the jail? I saw a bunch of people that have been caught red-handed. <laughs> I seen a bunch of people that had a case file against them that big. And you know what they do? They stand there and they'll tell you how innocent they are. <laughs> Unbelievable. It's like, dude, they literally found you with a knife in your hand and a dead person on the ground. And you're like, man, that wasn't me. <laughs> are you kidding me right now? Right? Can't prove it. Uh, yeah, we can actually prove that. We have pictures. Yeah, we can. You know, I know something. Jail's full of those. You know, I've never seen I've never seen a place filled with most, so many innocent people in jail. Oh my goodness, man! Everyone's got a sob story how they were mistreated. I'm sure this guy in here says, you know, I'm not going to admit I'm wrong because after all, my parents didn't raise me right. We didn't have a lot. That's why I was stealing because we just didn't have enough. And if the government would have took care of me a little bit better, I wouldn't have to be stealing. Please help us. (laughs) Spare us the sad story. We live in a culture that is against self-accountability. We live in a culture that rewards victims. And amongst our group, it ought not so to be. We should be the ones that say, that was me. Lord, that was me. I did that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And whatever the repercussions are, I deserve them. We see the plea of the sincere in verse number 40 through 42. But the other answered, rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? We indeed justly, I love this right here, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. Here's a humble plea for mercy. Lord, I deserve this. And you don't deserve this. Lord, I messed up and you deserve better than what you're getting. I'm sorry. And whatever it is you want to do for me, do to me or allow it to happen to me, I deserve it. Because I ain't no good. I ain't no good. And he repents. That's what repentance looks like. You ever see somebody that says they're sorry and they're not repentant? And then they expect you to forgive them? Right? They expect you to act like nothing ever happened? Like you're just supposed to forget? Well, I've said I was sorry. Okay. <laughs> you ever do that with one of your, with your spouse? I said I was sorry. And you think it's just going to go away? And your wife's like, mm-mm. I remember. <laughs> we, need a new, we need a demonstration of what real repentance looks like. You know what? In order to do that, you know what you have to do? You really have to have a change of heart. You know, when you read over here in Matthew chapter 24 and verse, or 27, verse 44, you know what you find? Is that it says that the, it says both of those malefactors, both those thieves on the cross, the Bible says that they cast the same in their teeth. You know what that means? That means at one point, both of the malefactors were saying the exact same thing. They were, they were echoing the call of, uh, of uh, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. 
And you want to know something? If you look at that passage over in Matthew chapter 27, you know the only thing that's different between that passage and then when he makes this proclamation here, you know the only thing that's a difference? Is there's a superscription that's written above his head. And don't you know, don't you know that that just fits the Bible uh, plain and simple? You know what happened to that man? That man's sitting there uh, next to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's railing on him, railing on him just like everybody else. He's just along with the crowd. He's just along with his peers. He's self-righteous, and yeah, I didn't really do anything wrong. He doesn't want to admit he's wrong. He's probably holding back on the fence, and there's just this gap i got to get over, you know, And but it's just like I don't really want to dip my toe in, and I'm kind of there, but I'm not there. And then, of course, he looks up, and he reads, this is the king of the Jews. And you know what? For a split second, you know what he did? He believed what he read. And faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. You want to know the only way that you know properly whether you're in the right or in the wrong? Is the more you get into that book and you understand what his expectations are. And you understand who he is and what he's done. And the gravity of what he's done for you. Can you truly say, you know what, Lord? I repent in sackcloth and ashes on but dust. And get to the place where you need to be. And say, you know what, Lord, you deserve better. You don't deserve this. I deserve this. I deserve this cross. You didn't deserve the cross. My sins put you there. You shouldn't have done it, but you did. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that you did this for me. You know what? It do us a lot of good to understand and always keep in the forefront of our minds the death that he died in your stead. I mean, there's sometimes like I'll do things in my life, man, and I'll and I'll and I'll mess up and I'll sin and I'll do something really stupid, and I'm just like, man, Lord, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Why do I allow this in my life? Why is this here? Why do I struggle with this? Why is this coming back? You know what I have to do? I have to think back to this moment here. As he's in an agony. And beat within an inch of his life. His visage was marred more than any of the sons of men. Beard plucked out of his face. And scars and lacerations at least three inches deep along his back, along his chest. Pouring out every drop of blood. And sometimes, you know, I get that track out there, that all this I did for thee. Yep. Just to get an image of him hanging on a cross. And I think to myself, man, Lord, I'm sure glad I didn't have to do that. And I know I'm not going to be perfect. And I know there's never going to come a day until I get to glory where I don't have to get on my face and repent for the things that I do. But I want to make sure that the things that I do when I mess up, they never stop bothering me. Some of you in here, guess what? The things that bothered you a year ago and the things that bothered you five years ago and the things that bothered you ten years ago, they don't bother you the same way they used to. Why? Have you become too accustomed? Have you allowed it in your life so long that it's just become a part of who you are and after all, I'm just a sinner? Maybe you could see him tonight high and lifted up on a cross among men naked and bleeding and say, you know what? It's not a small thing because he died for the small thing as well as the big thing.
We're the one that justifies it in between. But I want you to listen to one more thing. Listen to the promise. (laughs) Verse number 43, Jesus Christ, quick to answer a repentant heart. And praise the Lord for that. Doesn't skip a beat. He said, Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He didn't even ask to go to the kingdom. He just asked for him to remember him. Take that for a minute. And Jesus, quick to respond, says, Yet, he says, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Amen. I want you to hear the I want you to listen to the promise. I want you to listen to the promise of the one that chided him and derided him. And you know what you find out? If you were to listen for that promise, you know what you'd find? An eerie silence. Because as that man took his last breath, he died without a promise. No promise to the man that won't take accountability for his sin and won't realize that there was somebody who died in his place and is more worried about getting along with the rest of the crowd and being accepted in society and not realizing that you're hanging against, you're, you're standing right there, uh, ever uh, revealed in front of you, the solution for your sin, and you want to be self-righteous and stick in your own ways. There's no promise for you. So guess what? Roll the dice. Roll the dice. And that's what people do. They roll the dice. Guess what? If you're wrong, you pay big. You pay big. Yeah, well, I think you're wrong. Rather be on my side, man. (laughs) I'd rather be on my side on that one, buddy. If you were to echo your ear to the other side of the cross, you know what you'd hear? You'd hear that this man got a promise. He got an immediate promise. He said, today. He got an eternal promise. He said he was going to go to paradise with the Lord. Most people die without a promise. You know what? Those two thieves, could you imagine? That thief could have got off the cross that day. Could you imagine? The one that asked him to remember him. You know what happened? He'd go out there. Someone say, you hypocrite. You say, you mean, you mean what? You, you look at those two men today, if you, were to, if you were to look at them today, you know what you say? You're both the same. You did the same crime he did. You, you, you stole just like he stole. You lied just like he lied. You had a life, a wicked life, just like he had a wicked life. And you mean to tell me that that man went to hell and that man went to heaven? You hypocrite. How is that just? How is God love that a man had the same kind of life and one of them goes to hell and one of them goes to heaven? There's a paradox sitting right there in front of you, right there in your book. And you know what? People do that all the time. You mean, I, I mean, I live a better life than you. I live cleaner than you do. Why in the world you say, I'm going to hell and you're going to heaven? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Amen. That's exactly what I'm saying. You want to know why? Because it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what you're trusting in and who you're trusting in, man. And that man says, Lord, remember me. I'm guilty. And you're who you say you are. And I believe in you. And I want you to make sure you remember me when you go off into eternity. And he says, hey, buddy, today you're coming with me. That quick, man. That quick. Change your whole life. He changed my life. I thank God I'm not the same as I used to be. I remember I went home one time. After I'd been in Bible college for a little while, 
And I went to the old place where all the old buddies used to hang out. I remember I walked in there and they were doing the same thing I was doing before I left. Yeah. Go figure. Right. And I remember I walked in that thing and I said, hey guys, how's it going? They said, man, where have you been? <laughs> Funny they never called. Yeah. <laughs> and I started to tell them what God had started doing in my life. Called me to preach. And I had one of my old best friends. I called him my best friend at one point in my life. Be careful who you call your best friend. They're liable to change, depending on your relationship with God. He was holding a Bud Light. He was holding, he was rolling around, and he looked up at me, and he held it up. He says, that ain't who you are. I have my Bible under my arm. He raised that beer bottle up. He says, this is who you are. That's right. And I said, you are so wrong. I said, you are so wrong. He says, you're the same as we are. I said, no, I'm on a different side. I'm on a different side of the cross than you are. Amen? And I, and I know vividly that the Lord changed my life the day that I said, Lord, would you just remember me? I've got nothing to offer you. I'm in a situation that I, according to my, I've put myself in this situation. I cannot get myself out of this situation. And, I, and I'm now fearing the repercussions of what is going on in my life. He was down in Pensacola doing visitation, me and Josh Millar. And uh, went to a hospital one time and said, hey, we're going to go to the hospital and witness to some people. We get there, you know, and there's a receptionist when you first walk in there at West Florida Hospital. And uh, we said, hey, where are the sick people at? <laughs> you know, we heard there was some sick people in the hospital. We tried to go find them. And the receptionists, who they're all volunteers, they're like, I think they're on the third floor, the patient rooms, third floor, fourth floor. I don't know. What. And I'm thinking, here's a lady in the hospital, has no idea where the sick people are. We are in trouble. <laughs> or at least they are in trouble. <laughs> right? They don't, she don't even know where the sick people are. And she says, I think they're on the, the third floor. I said, all right, well, we'll go. And we had our suit on. I had my big Bible. I mean, I had that Bible up there, except at that time it had big yellow stickers on it. It said, Holy Bible, AV 1611, just in case you wanted to know. We got in the elevator, and we hit that three, and we go up there, and there wasn't no patient rooms up there. I'm thinking, this lady is so stupid. She doesn't know where the sick people are. And we're walking around, there ain't no, there ain't no nothing there's these big double doors here and big double doors here. You know, it's like, do not come in. And I'm thinking, this isn't where they keep sick people. This isn't, you know, this isn't right. And just about that time, we turn around and head back in. We're going to go to the fourth floor. And a family come out of those double doors, and they were all bawling their eyes out. <coughs> and there was probably four or five of them. A, I remember vividly there's a woman, and there's a man coming and consoling this woman. There's some, you know, grandkids or, you know, little, little kids with this woman. There. She's just... She's just bawling, uncontrollably bawling. And uh, we're waiting at the elevator, and we're kind of like, hey, how you doing? You know, the awkward moment. And she looks up, and she wipes her eyes, and she says, are you guys preachers? And I was like, oh, of course. <laughs> of course I'm a preacher. Look at me. I'm wearing a suit, and I have a Bible. Of course I'm a preacher. Right? And she says, this is the ICU floor. And I said, oh. She says, my dad just had quadruple bypass surgery, and the surgery went bad. And they say he's, gonna, he's about to die. 
and we were trying to find a preacher to come talk to him. Would you come talk to him? I was like, hmm. Dr. Ruckman, he always told a story about, you know, the football player, Leroy, you know, he gets in the, he's in the football game and, he, you know, they said, run it right up the middle. Give it to Leroy, you know. <laughs> they, they snap the ball, and Leroy is at running back. He comes in, and he grabs it, and he goes through, and that big old linebacker comes and stuffs him right in the middle and just puts a wall up on him. And he goes to the sideline, and the coach says, run it right up the middle. Give it to Leroy. And Leroy comes in, and he grabs that ball, and he runs up the middle, man. And that linebacker stuffs that nose guard and just puts him on his back, man. And I tell you, he goes to the sideline, and he's kind of like seeing stars, you know. And uh, it's third down, and he's like, listen, man, give the ball to Leroy. And put it right up the middle. They'll never see it coming the same play three times in a row. And Leroy's in the huddle. He's like, Leroy, don't want the ball. Leroy, don't want the ball. <laughs> kind of how I felt. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is kind of serious. <laughs> and I thought to myself for a second, Leroy don't want the ball. And it was just like the coach saying, get in the game. Boom. <laughs> I remember walking in that room and that guy, man, the older guy, his skin was turning black. And he's hooked up to every machine there and beeping and hollering and everything else. And his youngest daughter, she's probably in her 20s. She's leaning over the chest of that old man. He's got his gown on, and there's a puddle on that man's chest about that big. She's just laying on his chest, just weeping. I'm looking around the room, and you can tell he'd been there for a minute because there's pictures of his family all around and nurses in there tending to his medications and stuff like that. And I remember we go in there, and I didn't know what to do, man. I don't have any bedside manners when it comes to that. I was just a second-year Bible student, man, I didn't know anything. So I did what everybody does. I just started reading Psalm 23 and reading Psalm, finding out Psalms I didn't even know were there, and I'm reading them. And uh, Dr. Uh, Brother Donovan said something in class one night. He said, he says, you know, there's never a good time to talk about hell. He says, it's never a good time. It's not a good time to talk about hell at a birthday party. It's not a good time to talk about hell at a funeral. It's not a good time to talk about hell at a wedding. It's not a good time to talk about hell in casual conversation. But he says, if you're a preacher, you better learn how to talk about it. Amen. I remember sitting there, and I looked at the nurse, and the lawyer had come in at that time and gotten the rest of the family. There's probably, there probably eight people in that room as we're reading this guy, you know, Psalms and Proverbs and everything we could read him that we knew that was comforting in the Bible. And they took him out to discuss the estate and that kind of thing. They took him out into a conference room. But that 25-year-old girl, she just sat right there. And the nurse came in. She was giving him some more meds. And I asked her, I said, can he respond in any way, shape, or form? And she says, he's pretty incoherent. But when his grandson was in here a while back, uh, what he did was he would, he would take a deep breath. He would, and that's how he would communicate right he wasn't able to squeeze or anything like that but he was he was just kind of like moving his chest up like this you know taking a deep breath and uh and so you know his name was charlie i said charlie i said uh and we gave him the, the gospel the plan of salvation and i asked the folks in there i said does you guys ever go to church said never been in church day in his life He's got, you know, pictures of him partying and bikes and beers and everything else all over the wall. And, and you, could tell just what he, you could tell what kind of guy he was just looking at him there. 
And I said, Charlie, do you understand the things I just told you about salvation? And that guy goes, And I saw that little girl. She just kind of like looked over. She was just like, what is going on? And I said, Charlie, I said, you know, if you die without the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says you're going to go to a place called hell. And I watched that little girl bow her head. She just, <laughs> she started going. And I said, Charlie, but you don't have to go there. I said, listen, man, I said, I don't know if you can hear me or not, but I tell you, listen, you're, you've waited long enough. You've waited long enough. And any moment is going to be your last moment. And I said, do you understand what I told you? And he, and I said, would you ask the Lord Jesus Christ to save you? Nothing. And I watched that girl grab his chest. Dad. I said, Charlie. Charlie. Man, what are you holding on to? I said, you're about to step off into eternity. And I said, all you got to do is say something like this. And I led him in a prayer. And I said, Charlie, did you pray that prayer? All of a sudden, he's And he goes, Amen. and I'll never, I'll never forget the look on that lady's face when she just, oh, dad, grabbed him up in a hug. You say, well, you can't really confirm if he got saved or not. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> you want to know what I know? That that thing, that story right there, I don't care what happened in that man's life, it all went away that fast. Amen. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed your sins and your transgressions. But I got to thinking about that story. And I know I'm talking to a lot of Christians here tonight. You know what that man will never enjoy? Because he died a few moments later. That man will never enjoy what it's like to hear his voice as he walks with him day by day. Amen. That man will never understand the relief of going through a trial and having the Lord just shine through the dark skies. Amen. He'll never see the joy of the Lord using him as a vessel to help somebody else get to him. He'll never feel He'll never understand the relationship that could have been cultivated in all the years that he had in his life because he waited to the last minute to get in. As I look at this story, I praise the Lord for my salvation. But you know what I praise him for? It's that he's not just given me eternal life, but he's given me an opportunity to grow close to him and to understand what a relationship with him can do and what it can feel like and the joy it can bring and the influence that it can give to others. And I listen, what it does is it fills me with a new, with a new desire to make him pleased. Because after all, I could have been like Charlie. I could have maybe just got in. Maybe I could have waited too long and dropped off into hell like so many do. Christians in here today, 
you have an opportunity because of what he did, because of how he saved you. How are you living? How are you living? How is the Lord, how is the Lord talking to you? Listen, man, I'm gonna, I'll be honest with you. I know what his voice sounds like in my life. I've heard the Lord talk to me. Listen, listen, I like to get, I like to get uh, input from other people, but I know this. I know when God tells me to do something. Amen. I know it. Do you know it? Do you know it? Or maybe we've become so complacent and so used to it that, guess what? It doesn't touch us like it used to. I remember when I first got saved, man, it was just like everything was new. Amen. It was like, Lord, do you want me to do this? Lord, oh my goodness, I never thought about that. I remember I was confessing to Brother Jerry this morning. I said, you have fallen victim to one of my horrible character flaws. He said, what's that? He didn't even know what it was. I said, I stole your guitar pick last week. I stole it. I took it home and then I, I kept it. That's <laughs> what I do. <laughs> no pick is safe. Okay? None. And I said, you know, I said, I'll pay you money if I don't remember to bring it back. And I said, and then you'll fall victim to my other problem. <laughs> Forget to pay you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but I remember, man, I went down to Pensacola and I started reading my Bible and I'd be on my belly on my bed reading page after page after page after page after page. And I'm soaking up that book, soaking up that book. And the more I got into that book, it was like the Lord was saying that and that and that and that and that. And I'm thinking, man, Lord, give me a break here, you know. <laughs> you know what? I pray that I never lose feeling bad about the things that I do that hurt him. Amen. Let me ask you a question. You still feel bad about the things that you got on in your life that, you're, that aren't supposed to be there? Amen. I know you got them. Have you learned to live with some of them? Have they just become a part of who you are? Have, they just, have you just said, have you just made the, well, it's just my personality, right? It's just who I am, just how I was raised. We think of every excuse. You want to know something? When I look at Jesus Christ on the cross like this, like this passage shows us, all those excuses go away. You know what it is? It's, Lord, you deserve the best out of me. You deserve the best out of me. You saved me from hell. You allowed me. Uh, I was just like all those other people. I was just like the, I was just like them mocking. I was just as bad as they are. But you gave me a chance. You passed by my way, and I'm here today. And you deserve the best out of me. Can I ask you a question tonight? And I'll close. Is the Lord Jesus Christ getting the reward of His sufferings that He suffered for you tonight? Or are you taking advantage and taking for granted the life that he's given you to live after your salvation? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for allowing us to be in church tonight. I want to thank you, Lord, for the salvation that I enjoy this, this evening. I want to thank you for this church. I want to thank you for these people. Father, I am far from perfect, God. I've got so many problems. Sometimes, Lord, I get overwhelmed with them, and I just think to myself, Lord, I didn't, you shouldn't have even done it for me. 
So I'm such a mess. And I make so many mistakes. I fall short so many times. But God, I'd rather fall on my face every day than give up. Because you deserve the best that I can give. And it may not be as good as somebody else can give. But Lord, I just want to come to you tonight and say, Lord, I want to give you the best I got. I don't, want to, I don't want to make a mess of what you've given me, what you've entrusted me with. Father, be closer to me now than you've ever been. Help me to, Lord, just as my prayer for all of these that are here at this altar tonight, and for all those that are at this church tonight, my prayer is the same for myself as it is for them, Lord. Help me to be re- revived in my vision for what you've done for me. And Father, help me to be cognizant to give you the reward back of what you died for. Father, I'm a slave to you. I've been bought with a price. I'm not my own. I pray you bless these people now in Jesus' name. Amen.